The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning and welcome to our live stream again, our pre-recorded message. My name is Darren Smith from Tower View Baptist Church. Uh, we're here once again at the Midwestern Baptist uh, Chapel Seminary uh, uh, place. Uh, we're so grateful to be able to do this. Uh, I appreciate all the comments last week. Many of you shared with our pastoral team about the audio and visual uh, being much more clear. We're so indebted for that. So thank you. Uh, many of you are, are, are live right now as this is being posted on Facebook uh, at our drive-in service at 1030. Uh, both of these are going to be a stable thing for us going forward. So as, as many Tower View folks know, we'll be having our, our drive-in service, which is a very shortened sermon with a few songs, and we'll be pre-recording both our Bible studies and our sermons in the weeks ahead. So look forward to that. If you're visiting with us, again, thank you so much. If this has been shared on your page, welcome. Uh, we are from Tower View Baptist Church, towerviewkc.com. This morning, as we celebrate, culturally at least, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to switch gears uh, from our study of James, which we started just a couple weeks ago, into a brief study of the life of Thomas, the life of Thomas, Jesus and Thomas, doubting Thomas as he's come to know. So we will be reading from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, and as customary, we'll start that off with our sermon today. So be reading out of the ESV version this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. It says in John 20, 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. For Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withheld or withhold forgiveness, it is also withheld. And the main brunt of our text here in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John commentates in verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by His believing, you may have life in His name. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let's pray as we begin our study today. Fathers, we come before you uh, and study a very familiar passage. 
Lord, there's a danger as we come before your word. It's that we would presume that we've, if we've heard this before, then we've heard everything about it. And Father, as a preacher, as a teacher of the word, that I would also presume those things and, and think that I could bring anything new to the table that might be uh, of my own thinking or on my own mind. So Father, clear both of those thoughts away. May your word speak. May your spirit illuminate our hearts and our minds to, to hear the word, to apply the word. And Father, may, may the enemy be far from us, Lord, because we know he's always sneaking around like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Father, this morning, May your word be clear. I pray for any of those watching who are uh, new to uh, hearing uh, the, 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 the words of your word, Father, or the voice from the pulpit or whatever it is. Father, would you speak to their hearts? Draw people to Christ. For those in our church family, those uh, friends and others who are joining us, Father, on this message, Father, I pray you encourage them. Shore up their faith. Remind them of the essentials. When the disciples were in a lockdown, Father, you were right there with them, and we thank you for that. It's true in our time as well. Father, we come today to glorify your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story of a man and his dog who were walking along a beach, and when they saw a visitor to the beach, the man and his dog went up and said to the man, watch this. And the, 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 the man and his dog started out by the shore, and the man threw a stick out in the shore, and the dog went out in the, in the waves and he picked up the stick and he came out and immediately came back to the water. And the visitor shook his head in disbelief. He said, how did he do that? The owner of the dog did it twice more and, and the, the visitor was so impressed. And the man said to him, did you notice anything unusual about this? And he said, no, your dog can't swim, can he? Because every time he goes out into the water, it is not him swimming, but it's the stick that keeps him afloat. That story, as silly as it is, uh, illustrates one point, that doubt comes in many forms. And one person is famously known for doubting, and we just read about him, that is, of course, Thomas. Thomas is one of the most well-known disciples, even though we actually know very little about him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke list him just in the, the litany of the 12 disciples, the list of disciples. But it's John, who gets a little more intimate in the details of Jesus' life and ministry, who focuses the spotlight on him in at least three occasions. Two of those occasions are unfamiliar to many, even though they're famous events in the ministry of Jesus. But doubt was everywhere, because did Jesus really come back, or was it just our thoughts and our imaginations? But for the most part, most people recognize Thomas by that famous phrase, doubting Thomas. And to this day, Thomas is the unwitting poster boy for doubt, skepticism, and unbelief. And in spite of his unshakable reputation, though, Thomas was actually a true believer. Like the other disciples, Thomas forsook his life and everything that he wanted to do and sought after Christ. And tradition says he died in India serving the risen Lord. Yet in John chapter 11, when Jesus decided to go to Bethany, the first example we see of him is that he was reminded, uh, Jesus, that, 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 that the place he was trying to go to was a place he might get killed at. John eleven sixteen 16 says it this way, so Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas's statement here is pessimistic at best, but probably even more sarcastic. You see, to all the disciples thought it was suicidal to return to Bethany. Yet it was Thomas who demonstrated personal courage and spiritual devo devotion in bidding the disciples to follow Jesus to Bethany, even if it meant certain death. Thomas was a believer. And he was not at all gullible. 
Another instance we see of Thomas was during the Last Supper in John 14, when Jesus announced that he was going away. One, and he said that one of his own would betray him. He mentioned that Peter would deny him three times. He said he was going to prepare a place and he would return for his disciples. All familiar words to us. Yet it's the one verse that we often skipped over before a famous verse that where Thomas comes on the scene. John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How then can we know the way? The statement in question by doubting Thomas reveals something more of a man of faith and reason than a person shaking in his boots. He does not have blind faith. In fact, he has faith seeking understanding. And the thing about Thomas that is evidenced by this question is Jesus' astonishing answer, one that's familiar to us. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And if you want a verse to memorize in these COVID-19 days, that's a pretty good one. John 14, 6. Because Thomas believed in Jesus. He believed in him to such an extent that there's a point where his faith was attacked by his doubts. But the civil war within Thomas helps us as we struggle with the question of our own lives. How can I believe when I have doubts? And this kind of connects last week, if you were with us, from James chapter 1, when we talked about the person who doubted in prayer. But Thomas is the man who became certain by doubting. His story teaches us that a dose of doubt may actually be good for your faith when taken in proper measure. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith that keep it awake and alert. So why would we deal with doubt? How do we deal with doubt? And what should we look for in doubt? Some questions we'll answer today. The big idea today is very simple. Like Thomas, Jesus embraces your spiritual doubts and he resolves them with a decision, a present and a miracle that only he can provide. And we're gonna see that today. You see, because God uses imperfect people. And the list I'm about to give you are people who in the Bible were really at their worst when these things happened. But Thomas and these people show us one thing. God uses imperfect people for his glory. Noah was a drunk. Moses was angry and a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was a liar twice over. David was a murdering adulterer and a man of bloodshed. Elijah was depressed. Jonah was self-righteous. Peter was cowardly, at least for a time. Paul was a persecutor, and Thomas doubted. But yet God's grace is greater than all of our sin. So don't let your doubts stop you from trusting this Jesus on this Easter morning. Trust Jesus with your doubts and doubt your doubts. Jesus welcomed your doubts and will answer them with an evidence that demands a verdict is certainly what we'll see in our text today. This is what happened when, when Thomas met the risen Savior, and it shows us that we can trust Christ no matter what comes our way. So this morning, three facts about faith that help us overcome doubt. We're going to see that faith in this risen Savior is a decision. We're going to see that faith is a present or a gift, and faith is a miracle. And we'll start with that first one, that faith is a decision. Faith is a decision. Notice in verse 24 that Thomas is, is seeing one of the first post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. It says in verse 24, and I invite you to your text there as well. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. John does not tell us why Thomas was absent. We don't know the details. And we got to be careful about going back and figuring that out. But whatever the reason, Thomas missed out on a great blessing. We read that at the beginning, verses 19 through 23. 
And Thomas missed out on all that stuff. Jesus coming and showing himself. He appeared uh, in his glorified resurrection body just out of nowhere. And his absence, and Thomas's absence warns us that the weeds of doubt grow fast and strong in the soil of isolation. That faith is cultivated through fellowship with Christ and other Christians. So we don't want to miss the meeting. Feed your faith and starve your doubts by being marked present when the believing community can meet together. And let's be honest, in these times, that's hard to do. That's done digitally, virtually, or, or in a drive-in church where your windows are up or, or the police will come and find you or cite you, I'm sure, or something like that. But verse 25 says, So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. Remember, we're under the heading that faith is a decision. It's a choice. And here in the original, the statement is such that they kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. It's like a kid who keeps asking for the same thing over and over and over and over again. They repeatedly and emphatically report that they've seen Jesus. And the disciples should be commended for this. They're excited about it. They, they, they know that this is not just some euphoria or some dream or trance or something like that. And notice too, they don't hold Thomas's absence against him but they made it their business to share the good news with him that they indeed had seen their Lord, their master, their friend, their savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a good stop for us to remember, Christians, that we who are believers ought to always follow their example and share the good news with every man, with every woman, with every child, old, young, whatever it is. Who is it in your life in these days that you are uh, gonna talk to about Jesus? Have you thought about that? Have you prayed about that? But note that even though they were locked away, just as we are locked away, they were eager to share with one who did not know or at least not understand what they had seen. And friends, these are days where the church is to shine and shine brightly. May our voice be loud, our love be bold. May our lives be sacrificial as the church was in Acts 2 for the good of those of the household of faith, but also for the sharing of the gospel. And remember, People don't just know you're a Christian because you wear a Christian t-shirt or you do good deeds. There's a lot of atheist friends I know that walk circles of good deeds around Christians. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Speak the gospel, preach the gospel, share the gospel boldly, lovingly, and humbly. But know that even though they passionately shared the good news, they could not make Thomas believe. Notice verse 25 again. They tell him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas's response teaches us that faith in the risen Lord is a personal decision, a personal choice. Now, there's no record that Thomas witnessed the crucifixion or that he saw the dead body of Jesus but he is strikingly aware about the torturous facts and nature that Jesus suffered on the cross. Consequently, he refused to rest his faith simply on the experience of others, even if it was the credible witness of his closest friends. And I believe that's commendable today, because if his faith is a personal choice to overcome his doubt, he knew that the risen Savior is a personal decision. Friend, there's no such thing as a faith transplant because your mommy or your daddy were a Christian or you have this pastor friend twice removed, cousin twice removed, whatever you got. Your family and friends cannot save you. And if you're not a Christian and you're joining us, can I just encourage you, thank you so much. 
What we're talking about today could seem very odd. We're talking about a dead guy who rose again. That sounds kind of weird. We get that. But one thing we know is that you must trust the risen Savior for yourself. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Friend, if you're watching and you do not know Jesus, the question you have to ask, is everything he said true or is it just false? Are these Christians really nuts? Or is it actually true about what they're saying? It's a personal choice you must make, personal decision. But you see here also under this first setting that, that faith is a personal choice or decision. That it, Faith is also a tough decision. We can call Thomas a doubter, but the composite picture of Thomas we get from John's gospel is that he really did believe in Jesus. Yet this believer doubted the resurrection. This does not make him unique. In fact, most people, if you ask them, did the resurrection happen? Most people are going to say, you know, I believe it, but, and there's a but, dot, 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 fill in the blank answer. You see, all the disciples initially doubted the news of the resurrection. Luke 24, verse 11 Quote, it seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. When the women came to tell the disciples, it seemed like an idle tale. It seemed just like a tall story, a wives' tale. But all the disciples initially doubted Jesus, and it was just too good to be true. I mean, Jesus can't be alive. We just saw him die. Until Jesus appeared to them. That's when things got serious, and they started to believe. Thomas, of course, was not present, which is why he doubted. But faith is a touch, tough decision. But more than doubting, Thomas was disappointed. He wanted in on the action. you got to think in those eight days between this conversation and Jesus reappearing among them, he kicked himself in the pants a bit. He had left everything to follow Jesus. The crucifixion has dashed his hope, and he was crushed by the disappointment that he could get his hopes up again. And so he says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. He had to make a tough choice. Faith sometimes is a tough choice, but he wanted to believe it was true. In a sense, Thomas's story may be a word of encouragement for us today in these times. You may find it hard to believe because you've been disappointed in life. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your family member has gotten this virus or something else. Maybe your parents have let you down or your family has forsaken you in these days and you really have no one to turn to. Maybe a church has hurt you. Maybe our church has hurt you in some way. Or maybe you feel that God himself has let you down because he didn't answer the prayers the way you thought he should. And Thomas, I think, would tell each of us something like this. He would say, I know how you feel, but as hard as it may be, Jesus is enough. Trust him with your doubts. Matthew 12, 20, Jesus said, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Jesus is a friend to the disappointed friends. You can trust him. Faith is not only tough, it's a decision, it's tough, but it's also the right decision. Verse 25, he said, unless I see the hands, unless I place my finger in the marks, unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Notice Thomas said that he, he, he did not say that he did not or could not believe. He says, I will never believe. He literally says, I absolutely, positively, without a doubt, and the cherry on top will never believe. That's what he says. It was a decision of his will. He had to make the decision, and he had to make a moral choice not to believe. It's kind of like boarding an airplane. You know, you can say all day you're going to get on that airplane, or, or some of you, you're looking forward to worlds of fun being open, and some of you are like me where you hate roller coasters. You're like, yeah, I'm going to ride that roller coaster, and you get up in that line. You've been waiting for 45 minutes, and you have to make the decision. Do you, do you chicken out and walk across to the exit gate, or do you sit down and buckle up? You can't do both. At some point, the door will close, the ride will take off, and either you're on or you're off. 
And this is why you ought to trust Jesus with your doubts. Because the Bible is very clear. You can't live on both sides of the fence. You can't walk like a cat between two bulldogs. You have to be on either side of the fence. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it's pointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Friend, every one of us has an appointment with a date that we cannot cancel. You will stand before God in judgment and review of your life, your words, your thoughts, your ambitions, everything. And while you have opportunity, you should run to the cross and trust the risen Savior. Thomas had to make a choice, a personal one. And many blame Christians for being emotional, but nothing is more uh, more emotional than disbelief. Who would dare desire to thrust a hand in the side of a crucified friend? Unbelief doesn't make any sense. The only wise thing to do is trust Jesus with your doubts. In Proverbs 3, we quoted this last week, but it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all ways, and He will make your paths straight. Christian, your faith is a personal decision. You have come to know Jesus. It may have been years ago, but your faith is a personal decision. How you walk through these days of adversity as God takes away some of the creature comforts we're used to and brings you to a place of Philippians 4 contentment. That's really going to show where your idols are. Church, there's a great article we posted in our Facebook group, our private group from the Gospel Coalition this last week that talked about these things. They mentioned three things that were being stripped away from the church, and it really all boiled down to the things we can pay for, the things we can impress with, and the things we hope to win people over with. Thank the Lord for this time, because our faith is being decided in our minds by this question. Is God going to be enough for us? Are the means of common grace, prayer, the preaching of the word, fellowship as we can, study, you know, evangelism, are those basic but necessary things enough for our church? Or do we need the dangly things that make everything sparkle to help our faith go forward? Thomas had a choice, and he chose faith in the risen Christ. He's not there yet, but he's headed that way. Notice, secondly, Faith in the risen Savior to overcome doubt is a decision, it's a choice, but secondly, it's a gift, it's a present. And Thomas is to be commended for the fact that he did not have blind faith. But the manner in which his faith sought is, is, is not commendable. It's kind of a, a, a Gideon-like response in the New Testament sense. He, he put out his fleece, so to speak, that unless this happened, unless I get physical evidence, then I will never be the same. He stubbornly declared that he would not believe unless he got it on his own terms. And isn't this not unlike many people today? You've heard these people, well, if God is real, why doesn't he show up right now? Right here, right now. Well, guys, God is not our personal genie like in Aladdin or some other movie. God is a God whose ways are inscrutable. His ways are not our ways, and they certainly are above above us. And Romans 11 tells us that all glory is due him because he alone is God. And it was a foolish, arrogant, and dangerous thing to put the Lord to the test like Thomas did. But here's the tension of the text. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus came down to submit to the examination that Thomas demanded. Christ came among him. And the gracious coming provided evidence that Jesus is Lord and God. And the lesson here is that faith in the risen Savior is more than just a personal choice. It is a divine gift of grace. Ephesians 2 says, uh, Ephesians 2 tells us that, that, that faith is a gift. It is a gift given to us. So faith in Christ is extended here by the love of Christ. And Jesus loves us too much to let us stay where we are. Notice verse 26. 
He says, eight days later, John writes, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be to you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. You see, Jesus accepted Thomas's doubt-filled demand for a personal exam, challenging him to look over him and touch him and see for himself that he was truly risen from the dead. It wasn't a dream. It isn't some hysteria. It actually is happening. And moreover, he issued him a command, don't disbelieve, but believe. Literally believe. Jesus said, Thomas, stop becoming an unbeliever and hold on and become a believer in me. This command demolishes the myth of spiritual neutrality. Look, you cannot be a Switzerland with your faith. You are either for Christ or against Christ. And in these days that we live of COVID-19, isn't that so much more true? People will see who we used to see at church, even our own church may say, I don't want to have anything to do with the church because if God loved me, this would never have happened. Church, we've talked before about the, the, the ending of cultural Christianity, of people just coming to church because that's the thing you do that's expected of you. The deeper we go in these days, the deeper we will see, the more we will see people making that choice. Am I really going to come because I believe Jesus? Or am I going to stay away because that, that thing's just not cool anymore? And that's why the uncertainty of agnosticism, that, that kind of, there might be a God, there might not. There might be a God, there might not, is not a legitimate category of faith. You see, no faith can be in park. No faith can be in neutral. There's only drive or reverse. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. Either what he says is true or it's not true. And Christian, if your heart is not growing in faith, it is inevitably going to grow hard in doubt that will lead you to the unending and unnecessary torment of knowing whether or not you know him. Look, no Christian can lose their salvation, but Christian, be sure of this. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Make sure that you have truly held on to Christ and not the Christ of your own imagination, not the Christ of culture, not the Christ of your mommy or daddy, but the risen Christ that Thomas himself said. Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Faith is a gift, a, a present in Acts 17, 30-31, Paul says, The times of ignorance God looked, uh, is overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, referring to Christ, and that he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Look, we ought to trust in, in Christ and repent of our sin, not just because he's the Savior who died, but also because he's the Lord who rose from the dead and we will give answer to him. Mark this down. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, the Christian faith is nothing. The resurrection of Jesus is the epicenter of the Christian faith. Everything else depends on it. But if you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead, you have the gift of forgiveness. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yet there's no record here, even in the verses we see, that Thomas actually accepted Jesus' invitation to touch him. All you see is verse 28. Look back at your Bible, your tablet, whatever you got. Look down at your text. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Here, here is probably the most touching response that we see in the Gospels thus far. 
we see two things of this great confession, two essential attributes of Jesus. First, Thomas rightly says that Jesus is Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that He has sovereign authority, total control, and unlimited jurisdiction over all creation. Jesus is in charge of everything, every place, everywhere. Now, we love that truth in church, but when God starts messing with details of our lives, like many of you may feel He's doing through this time of, uh, of coronavirus, we really have to say, is He really with us? And yes, friends, He is. He is Lord. C.S. Lewis, we rightly know, has well said, Jesus is either liar, He's a lunatic, or He's the Lord. He either was the biggest showman out there to get you to believe a false truth, he was this crazy dude that should have been locked up in a mental hospital, or he really was the Lord. But the resurrection of Jesus narrows those three things down to one. The fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead is ultimate proof that he alone is Lord. Friends, and I want to remind you that you cannot take Jesus as your Savior without taking him as your Lord. There was a controversy many years ago, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, where people would say, I want Jesus as my Savior, but I don't want Him as my Lord. Thomas makes clear here that the gift of faith that we see is one that comes by acknowledging Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. But secondly, he says that Jesus is God. Thomas was the last of the 11 disciples to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. But he was the first person ever to directly call Jesus God in such clear terms. Judaism, the Jews, unapologetically believed in one God, the Shema, refusing to acknowledge that any other God exists besides Yahweh. And it was blasphemous for a Jew to entertain that thought that any human could be God or that God could come down and put himself in human form. But Thomas boldly declared that Jesus is God. To have the power over life and death is to be omnipotent, to be all-powerful, which is not a human characteristic. It's an incommunicable attribute, to use the big word. It's a divine attribute. And as far as humans are concerned, when you die, you stay dead. Only God has the power to suspend death. So if Jesus really did come back to life after his crucifixion, it confirms that Jesus is God. Only God can die on a cross and live to tell about it. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was, quote, declared to be the Son of God, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. End quote. So-called doubting Thomas gave the clearest, simplest, greatest confession of the deity of Jesus Christ recorded in the scriptures, my Lord and my God. And he did not just acknowledge Jesus to be Lord and God, but did you notice that personal testimony twice? My Lord, my God, my, my Thomas was convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead, but what moved him from doubt-filled demands to faith-filled worship? Some believe it was uh, that Jesus knew about the demands and, and he showed up, but I'm sure it's more than that. He realizes for the first time that Jesus was his Savior, his Lord. Yes, he loved everyone, and yes, he came to die for the sins of the world, but it personally affected him. It wasn't a group think decision. It wasn't a think tank decision. He had to make that choice and it was a gift given to him. He could say now, you are my Lord and my God. And if you've come to know Jesus, God is God, but he's also your Lord and your God by faith alone in Christ alone, by his grace alone. Thomas was convinced by the marks of the cross. He didn't need to touch the wounds. He, he saw them and believed because he knew that Christ had fulfilled everything he came to do.
James Montgomery Voice, the, the late uh, Presbyterian commentator and pastor, said this. He said, quote, what finally got through to Thomas was the presence of Christ, identified by the wounds in his hands, the feet, and the side. It was the Christ of the cross who reached Thomas. This is the same way that Jesus reaches our doubting hearts today. Those who would be saved must run to the cross and put their trust in the risen Jesus, end quote. It was like that little girl who was lost in, in London. The police found her and tried to help her get home, but she did not know her address or her phone number, and they asked her if she could remember anything that would help them get her home. And she remembered the, uh, the Charing Cross, which is a landmark in the middle of London. I've seen it myself. And she said to the police, she said, if you can get me to that cross, I can find my way home from there. They got her to the cross. They followed behind her to make sure she got home safe. And lo and behold, she did. Friends, when we remember that our faith is a personal decision, and we remember that our faith is a gift or a present, we remember that we are in the safest place we could ever be, in the arms of Christ, held forever by his strength, where no one can snatch us out of his hand. So faith in the risen Savior that overcomes doubt is a decision. It is a present. And finally, it is a blessing. Notice verse 39, or excuse me, verse 29. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This question acknowledged that Thomas was a true believer. We see his conversion right here. If it hadn't happened already, certainly here. But it takes issue with the means by which Thomas came to the place of assurance. You see, Thomas believed he saw the marks of the cross uh, of the risen Savior. But going forward, Jesus would not deal with doubt by making special appearances, performing miraculous signs, or submitting to personal exams. There would be no more show and tell, to put it in very simple language. It is now here and believe. And let's just take a time out and aside because there is in our own city, and we, why do you call things out from the pulpit like this, Pastor? Because you need to know what's out there. You need to know what is out there so you can be shored up in your beliefs. There is a group in Grandview, Missouri called the International House of Prayer, IHOP, led by a man, Mike Bickle, who for years has claimed that Jesus, just like we see here with Thomas and the disciples, shows up when he shaves, he usually shows up in the morning, Mike says, when he's in the bathroom, shaving or brushing his teeth. And his typical response is, as he looks in the mirror, hey, what's up, Jesus? Friend, the Jesus we know is the Jesus of Revelation 1. When the Apostle John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet like a dead man. Jesus is not some bop and hop, jump and skip, come and go as he pleases type of God. We have what we have in the Word of God, and it sufficiently declares Him to be the risen Lord. What we see in Thomas's day and what Jesus is telling is that blessed are those who seen and have not believed, is that now we are to hear and believe the Word of God. If you are a skeptic, a doubter, a, not a Christian, and again, you just say, if God would just show up, I'd believe in Him. Friend, you're barking up the wrong tree. Jesus says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But this question is not a rebuke to Thomas. It is a rebuke to those who today say that faith requires a special sign like tongues or miracle or experience. While Jesus did make a special appearance, it was just that. It was a special appearance. Jesus has already done enough to prove that he is who he says he is. I mean, look at verse 30, the thesis of the whole book of John. 
John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It sounds like 1 John 5, 13 as well. This is the basis of saving faith. Romans 10, 13, Paul says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no more show and tell because verse 14, Romans 10, how then will they believe on whom, how, excuse me, how will then they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe with whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We come to Christ now by hearing the word. And if you're hearing the word today, may God use that in your life to bring you close to him. In verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The statement is addressed to Thomas, but again, it's not about Thomas. It's addressed to all of us after Thomas that would never meet uh, Thomas or the disciples this side of eternity. And it issues a blessing. This faith is a blessed faith now that Thomas and the other apostles could not experience or enjoy without Jesus there. But we get it now by faith as we hear the word. This is the final beatitude, and it's addressed to all those who would believe on Jesus without physically seeing him. As Jesus was talking to Thomas, he was thinking about you and me. And as Jesus announces a special blessing on those who are saved and satisfied with Jesus, who will never lay eyes on him, it reminds me of 1 Peter 1, where Peter writes, and, and being in the room, Peter would have remembered this. He said in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you have obtained the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friend, it is one thing to believe based on what you can see, but ultimately it's not really faith if you can see it. Hebrews eleven six. we quoted this last week, it bears repeating again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But let's be clear, if you've ever seen the Indiana, Indiana Jones movies and, and you're locked inside, most of you for a long time, you have some extra time, watch The Last Crusade. And I won't tell you the ending, but there's a part at the end where, where Indiana Jones is getting ready to step out onto a ledge that he thinks is this big gap. And a lot of people think that's what faith is. You know, Indiana kind of stumbles a bit, he closes his eyes and hopes for the best. That is not faith. That's, that's just called hopeful, wishful thinking. It's like jumping off a building and hoping you have a parachute that opens up. That's not faith. Faith is standing on something certain. Faith is standing on something resolute. It's standing on something that is immovable. And friends, if you have faith, that faith is rooted in its object, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and you're blessed because you trust in Him. Faith is not blind. Faith does not demand to see everything, but faith trusts in what we cannot see because we've heard enough. I mean, think about it for a second. What do you do with believers down in the Amazon or out in, in, in these remote places that come to know Jesus? They don't need 500 reasons Jesus came back from the dead. When they are saved, if they're truly saved, they look at you and say, I've never seen him, but I know him because he has saved my soul. Well, pastor, that's just a religious conversion. No, if you know this risen Jesus, it's not some religious show. It is life transforming. And isn't that why the disciples launched out, no matter what the cost, after they saw this risen Jesus, because they knew it to be true. 
Friend, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And following Jesus requires more than just head knowledge. Christians do not live on explanations. We live on promises. And you can live a long time on a promise if you trust the one who is the promise. As the old hymn says, one of my favorite old hymns, I grew up singing this. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. You know, as we close out today, I just want to ask you and remind you, and some of you are struggling with doubts and things, and a good ministry friend, a friend of the seminary here, Jared Wilson, wrote an article several years ago. It became part of one of his books. We shared this church uh, with you, I think, about three weeks ago, one of our first devotions to go out. Jared was having some doubts. I think he wrote this around 2010. He wrote these late at night, and uh, if Jared can write these late at night, you need to read his books. They're great. They're practical. They're, they're engaging. They're fresh, and they're biblical, and they're sound. He said, if you're struggling with doubts, let me just give you five quick things he says. He says, number one, concentrate on the historical fact of the cross. Press into Jesus. Read the gospel accounts. Read scholarly accounts about the cross. Reflect intellectually and devotionally on what the man Jesus of Nazareth did and why he did it. If you're struggling with doubts, concentrate on the cross. Number two, don't seek refuge or advice with those who would shame you for doubting as they never did. For Jude 1 or Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Jerry writes, don't worry about that doubt is a sin, but view it as a wavering, uh, but view it, it as a wavering you wish not to have. In other words, he says, acknowledge it not desirable or refuse it to feel victimized by it. Acknowledge that you do not wish to doubt is, is a big first step in humbling yourself before the gospel. So concentrate on the cross. Don't seek refuge or advice with those who shame you for doubting as if they never did. Thirdly, he says, hurl yourself in prayer at God. Mark 9, 24, I believe, help my unbelief, the man said. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. You see, throw yourself at him, Wilson writes. Cry out to him honestly and humbly. If you approach the throne boldly, you'll find grace there in your time of need. How also do you fight doubts? Refocus your doubts towards your own failings and inabilities. Doubt yourself, in other words. This is counterintuitive, Wilson writes, and it sounds like bad advice in the believe-in-yourself age or the self-help and therapeutic gospel, but we will not believe God more fully until we despair ourselves more fully. This is what the Puritans did. In a sense, he writes, the counterattack is not to stop doubting God. It's like telling someone to wash in doubt to simply stop doubting is like telling a drowning man to thrash harder, but rather to stop doubting yourself. It's telling a drowning man to stop thrashing, to doubt his own ability to thrash his way to safety. And in fact, when a drowning man relaxes and stops fighting, giving up his ability to trust, his rescuer is better able to save him. If you think that God can't be trusted, think about yourself. How together are you, Wilson writes? How well do you have it figured out? How control, in control are you? How are your plans coming together for great life? And how is following your heart really ending up for you? If we're honest with ourselves, he says, we will realize our utter dependence and feebleness. And when we doubt ourselves, we are ready to trust God. For as John said, he must become greater, I must become less. Finally, Wilson says, read your Bible, but more specifically, meditate on the scriptural biblical promises related to your area of doubt. 
Your doubt will wither and fade, but the word of the Lord will last forever. Remember that your God is bigger than your doubt, that your disagreement with your doubt is an indication you're known by him. And he closes with this. Remember that Christ's perfect work even covers our wavering faith. You need only a mustard seed. Christian, you don't have a resurrected Jesus to to touch physically right now. But he tells you to overcome your doubt. You need to remember that your faith is a decision. It is a gift and it is a blessing. And I pray that as Wilson shared with us, that we go back to the basics of the faith. That's what it's all about. And if we are there on this Easter Sunday and every Lord's Sunday, and just remember Easter is a cultural thing. We get to celebrate the resurrection every week. But what a joy it is to gather together today that God is among us, God is with us. We love you all. Let's pray together and we'll close out today. Father, as we come before you on this Easter Sunday, Father, on a day where Usually we're in our Sunday best for preparing for family meals and other things. Lord, everything's just kind of be turned up on its head. But the one thing that is constant, Lord, is just that. It's you. You have not changed. Your plan has not changed. Your will has not changed. And oh, how grateful we are. For Father, you are worthy of all praise. I pray for those who are doubting, who are doubting their faith, who are doubting the goodness of God in these times, who are doubting things that may be out of their control. Father, reassure them. Thank you for Brother Wilson's uh, writings here, Lord. May you be lifted high and glorified, especially though pray for those listening to the sound of my voice digitally, Father, that you would draw them to faith in Christ if they know not your son. Father, thank you for Jesus, the risen, resurrected, physically, bodily, literally resurrected Lord. Thank you so much. We pray this today in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, go with God. God bless.